Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Traffic Jam. It's Isabel here, as always, and I'm joined by Georgia. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming back to this podcast if you've been listening. And if you're just finding this episode, welcome to our show. I'm sure especially with back to school happening just last month and Halloween coming up in a few weeks, everyone's TikTok and social media was filled with back to school outfit hauls and Halloween outfit inspo. I know one of them that I saw a lot of was Shein haul specifically. But in today's episode, we're going to talk about being a conscious consumer and some of the harms surrounding Shein. But first, if you're enjoying this episode, please share with your friends and family and check out our social media pages that we're going to link in the episode description. But before we really get into the Shein stuff, I have an interesting update to share with everybody regarding pornography. If you listen to episode three, we talked about pornography addiction and how addiction to porn can sometimes, and I emphasize sometimes, lead to child abuse. And that happens after a person is desensitized and the addict seeks more shocking imagery. And when I say more shocking imagery, I mean going from adult pornography to barely legal pornography to underage pornography or child abuse. If you haven't listened, we highly suggest that you do. At the end of August, a federal judge in West Texas ruled that websites requiring age verification to view pornography was unconstitutional. What? So let's backtrack. Texas had a law in place. It was House Bill 1181. And this bill required pornography websites to digitally verify users' age being 18 and older. Okay, which I feel like, I mean, a lot of sites, any like dating sites, social media sites, like everything asks, even mobile games ask for your birthday. Right. But to verify the age of the users, this bill required those users to submit a photo of their government ID to the site or a third party site for verification to make sure that they're 18 or older. Oh. Additionally, it would require a Texas Health and Human Services warning to pop up on the porn sites before users can access the content. Okay, which I see how that's a little bit different than what some other sites do, but how is it that having to upload a government ID to view pornography is ruled unconstitutional? Good question. So Pornhub and an advocacy group called the Free Speech Coalition sued the state of Texas over this, and they claimed it violated the First Amendment freedom of speech. And the judge ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, writing, quote, the statute is not narrowly tailored and chills the speech of plaintiffs and adults who wish to access sexual materials, end quote. So I'm going to try not to sound too harsh, but... It's our right to view pornography at any age, and there's no need to do things to verify we are all 18 and older in order to access that content. And to say that porn can be dangerous is definitely not allowed. So are they saying that it's like the methods used to verify that's unconstitutional or that having to go through the process of having your age checked as kind of like a buffer before you can just like watch porn is unconstitutional. I believe they're saying the verification of the age through photo submittance Mm. through submitting a photo is unconstitutional and it's, you know, blocking somebody's right to view and access porn. Okay. I mean, I'm no... I'm no lawyer. I mean, I have been watching Suits religiously. (laughs) (laughs) Have you really? It's so good. We're on the last season. Oh, I'm just starting. (laughs) I'm a little bit of an expert here. I'm a little confused. So they're saying, okay, it violates the First Amendment free speech. But technically still, there are age requirements for people to be allowed to have sex, first of all, to purchase any kind of sexual um, 
content, whether it's like OnlyFans or um, purchasing somebody uh, somebody's services for sex, you have to be of a certain age. And so I think it's interesting that we're deciding that viewing porn is no longer going to be protected in that sense. And now, I mean, tech, I mean, kids still can access porn so easily in today's age. And I think that's what the Texas bill was trying to prevent, not just making up an old birthday to say that you are over 18. It's we want to see your license or your passport or any form of ID to verify that you are who you say you are. Interesting. And that just seems, I find it hard to support things that are going to make it easier for children to be exposed to sexually explicit content because of the harm that that and the risk that that puts them in. This is very shocking. Um, But again, and I will say, I guess I'm not overly surprised by this as well because I feel like in today's age, like just in general, I mean, we had a whole episode on child uh, sexualization is that like we are bringing kids into this like sexual world like so much younger now. And so I guess this is just kind of like the next step is just to make porn more normalized and more accepted. Right. And I didn't go and read the entire um, statement that this judge had made. So I can't say that he's saying it's fine for kids to access Mm -hmm. it, but he's saying taking this extra step Mm -hmm. to make sure that kids don't access it is unconstitutional. Oh, okay. So they're going to leave, you know, how old are you? And people can lie about it, but they can't ask. Okay. They just can't ask for ID. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Well, Georgia, that is a very interesting update. Um, that is the current event. Yes. And I do want to quickly say that a similar law passed in Louisiana and the traffic to Pornhub in Louisiana dropped about 80%. Wait, so people are watching less porn since they got rid of the government verification? So, so in Louisiana, there was a bill passed that was similar to House Bill 118 in Texas, mm-hmm. requiring that you submit a photo ID to the website to verify that you are 18 or older mm-hmm. and probably um, a health warning. Mm-hmm. And after that passed, the traffic on Pornhub dropped 80% oh. because they can measure it by state. 80%? That's shocking. That's uh, a lot. I'm guessing most of it is kids. And I'm sure there are some people who just don't feel comfortable uploading their government ID on on the internet i'm sure there are though different like protection measures in place but that's huge so we know it works yes it definitely diminishes traffic but there is a lawsuit in louisiana but Mm. from what i saw it hasn't gotten anywhere okay as the texas one did so well now that the texas one did though it wouldn't surprise me if this one has to they have to drop theirs as well in louisiana right i guess we'll see We'll keep you guys updated. All right. So today we're talking about she. So I feel like I always say it wrong, Georgia. Help me out. I always called it Sheen, but I think you say it differently, and you're probably right. I say it she in, like she girl in. She in. Okay. She in. Yeah. I guess uh, we'll never know. Let us know in the comments if you guys know the correct pronunciation. Or if you um, say it a different way. Yes, we want to know that too. <laughs> um, like Georgia mentioned earlier, I mean, I have seen when back to school was happening, all of these uh, TikTok, like Shein hauls um, of like all these different outfits that you can get and all these different discount codes and how to basically get your clothes practically free. Um, and I, a couple years ago, have even ordered from there. Um, and I know even, like, several years ago, I even tried, like, ordering from them because I was curious. I mean, I saw this website with any article of clothing you could imagine at such a cheap price. I mean, it's um, so tempting. I've bought from Shein so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've ordered, like, from there, like, twice. And I will say, I mean, 
I ended up returning most of it just because of like the quality, but like I've got some staple pieces. Um, now it is a relatively newer company. Uh, they launched in 2008, but like since their launch, completely took over the fashion world. Uh, something interesting that I found was they actually control 28% of the fast fashion market in the U.S. alone. So that's a pretty large percent, I feel like, for one company. Absolutely. And at the start of the pandemic, they were also like one of the most mentioned clothing brands on TikTok, which that I believe for sure because I saw it all over TikTok. Yes, me too. Now, they are based out of South China, and they offer, like, really cheap clothes and accessories for women, men, and kids. So, Shein was founded by Chris Xu. Uh, he was born in the U.S., uh, and his nationality is Chinese. He didn't have a background in fashion or design or anything similar to that, which I think is something that kind of makes Shein stand out a little bit um, as a fast fashion market. I mean, you would think that, you know, fashion, uh, fashion companies would be started by these talented designers who have worked really hard. They love fashion, but not in this case. Um, and it's been so successful. Um, instead, you know, these big companies are usually founded by businessmen and their sole purpose is to make money. Shein's products are also designed by many designers from different countries who receive 30% commission from the design sales. This is why Shein offers such a wide variety of products and why they're able to release new styles so frequently because they have so many different designers. Now, something interesting that I found out. So we're talking a little bit of background on Shein and the company itself. But what this episode is largely going to focus on, and we're going to give kind of six bullets on why you shouldn't shop at Shein. And I actually just today before we were recording found out that there is a whole documentary on this topic uh, called Inside the Shein Machine Untold. Um, if you are in the UK uh, or in most European countries, you can watch the documentary on Channel 4. I think in the US, if you do have a Channel 4 account, you can watch it or it is somehow available on Apple TV. I haven't figured out how to get it to work yet. If anybody does, write to us. Uh, through our Instagram account because I am trying to figure out how to watch this documentary. But um, I found it on a fashion site called uh, Ella Australia and they write about this documentary and what they have to say about it is that uh, the documentary explores the real cost of Shein's de- uh, cheap clothing and the price human lives have to pay in return for the polyester crop top that will cost less than your morning iced oat latte. The film offers an undoctored view into the factories Shein uses when manufacturing their clothes, revealing that employees are severely overworked and underpaid, earning less than $20 per week. So I definitely encourage people to go ahead and check out this documentary. I know we all love a good documentary. Uh, and if you figure out how to watch it in the U.S., tell us. But with all that being said, we're going to present you six reasons why you shouldn't shop at Shein. Um, And we got these uh, six reasons um, from reading a blog, uh, Ethically Dressed. And we're going to link the specific blog um, in our episode description so you guys can look at it and read more thoroughly. But we really like the research in this blog. And we also found some outside research to help build uh, the case for these six reasons. So with that, The first one, Georgia, do you want to go ahead and present? Yes, I do. So number one, they use harmful materials. They use a lot of synthetic fabrics like polyester and nylon, and they use very few eco-friendly materials. There is no evidence that it has taken meaningful action to reduce or eliminate hazardous chemicals in their production. There is also no evidence that they have a policy to minimize the impacts of microplastics. The clothes are poor quality, so they don't last very long, and their clothes are very much based on short, temporary trends. The blog post actually put this in a really uh, interesting kind of perspective on why, because at first I didn't fully immediately think of why it's harmful that the clothes don't last such a long uh, period of time. 
but they put it in a really good perspective when they wrote, you can get rid of your fast fashion pieces after one season, but clothing made from polyester takes 20 to 200 years to decompose. So throwing polyester things out just means removing them from your closet, but the clothing items will probably outlive you. To me, that was so insane. And to think about it, if you're think about how much people are buying from Shein and the how much how many clothes they're just throwing out. Those do not decompose for, uh, you know, potentially 200 years. That's nuts. The amount of clothes that I've bought and now have gotten rid of in the past few years would, I don't even know how long that would last. Longer we just like we will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a thousand years at least worth of clothes. Yes, easily. Insane. And what's also very alarming is that there are reports that the company produces garments that contain an unsafe level of toxic chemicals. Well, that is all alarming enough for me. But in case. People are not still convinced. If you're not so environmentally based. <laughs> not to two. guilt trip you, but. <laughs> All right. The second <laughs> harm. And at first, this is not going to sound like a harm, but let me explain it. Unrealistically low prices. When you see the prices on Shein, it looks amazing. So great for your wallet. You can buy so much. Uh, like you can get. 10 items for $50. But if you were to go into, you know, a store in the mall, you're buying like one thing for $50 sometimes. Sometimes so, more. So yeah, sometimes even more. Um, but here's the thing. When you see something that is, that looks too good to be true, like they always say, it usually is. But I think what's so dangerous with the situation is we don't, necessarily get to see that harmful effect. Instead, the workers take it on. So the reason why Shein can offer clothes at such low price is because they can cut the wages of the workers and they're using um, like poor quality materials as well. Again, I really like the way that this blog talks about the concern with low prices. And the author gives this explanation about, let's say you have a polyester dress that costs $5 um, or $50. Really though, they have the exact same value. It's the same product, just a different price. Um, it's gonna take the same amount of material, same amount of effort, and the same amount of like production cost as well. So if you can purchase a dress at Shein at $5, that does not mean that the quality is technically lower than a the same dress at $50. But what the author says is, if you don't pay the full price, someone else will. Uh, the workers in Asia who are involved in making your dress pay the ultimate price. And eventually, we will all pay for all the plastic produced for Shein's customers because plastic is destroying the world. Another harm the author talks about is how the cheapness of Shein's clothing makes it seem as though clothes are just disposable only to be worn one time. But this also means that people are buying clothes at a much higher rate. And so they're having to produce so much more. So not only are they demanding more from their workers who aren't getting compensated, but again, that's also more of that, you know, poor material, more uh, polyester that's just getting thrown out and not decomposed. Because you buy one thing, you wore it once, now it's gone because it's so cheap. Right. I'm so guilty of this. I used to love Shein because the prices were so low. And whenever you and whenever you go on a trip or have a vacation planned or even just have like a nice weekend planned or an eventful weekend, you can just go on Shein, order a bunch of stuff, knowing that you're going to return half of it at least or give half of it away to somebody else because it's so cheap you don't mind spending the money up front like that because you'll get it back at a credit or just give it to somebody because why should I care? It was a $5 top. Please take it from me. I don't, I don't mind. But when you put it in this perspective, 
it's actually really sad how blind we are. And is it ignorant or arrogant? That's the right word. Ignorant, I think. Ignorant? Like, and that like we're just don't know. so... Yeah, ignorant. I think it's ignorant. And that we're just... And that we're just so ignorant to not realize that $5 dress, $50 dress, yes, they're basically the same, but there is a reason that it's only $5 on Shein. Exactly. And again, it's just... The whole concept of like, well, like the value of clothes are just... You're losing the value of clothes, essentially. You know... It used to be like, oh, you go buy like a nice pair of jeans and those are going to last you years. Yeah. But I even remember like, what was that? When I went on like, when I was getting ready for my first date, I like bought a bunch of clothes from Shein because it was like a weekend and I had my outfits for the day and that oh. was it. I bought the clothes for a specific occasion and there we go. Like the occasion was over. I didn't need the clothes anymore. That's the role that Shein mm-hmm. holds. Especially for girls in our age group. Oh, for sure. Well, guys wear the same five shirts and we don't say anything to them, but I know. we need to have, we need to have those different outfits for the specific occasions. Like if somebody wears the same dress to an event that the same people are at, God forbid. Bad move. <laughs> Not even to make fun of it because I know we all do it. We do. Like, I know. Don't lie to yourself. You have to buy a different dress. <laughs> you have to. I was having this argument with a coworker a couple weeks ago. He's he's a little bit older, and he had multiple weddings to attend within the same month. And his wife was telling him how she loved the dress she wore to wedding number one. But she needed to go out and get another dress for wedding number two and wedding number three. And he could not wrap his head around the <laughs> girl logic that we need the other dress. Even if there's no people at the same wedding. But if you took a picture in it and it's somewhere out there to show to people. That's you just don't the thing. Do it. If it's in a picture, you can never wear it again. <laughs> There's girl math, girl dinner, and just overall girl logic. And this is girl fashion logic. Mm-hmm. Well, have you seen all the videos on TikTok that are going around now about girl math? And they're like quizzing, um, like if they're in a heterosexual relationship, they're quizzing their male partner. Yes, I have. Girl math. So My favorite one is like, oh, if you go to Starbucks and you buy one drink, but you get the second drink free. And let's say you just don't go for that deal. Are you losing money? Is it neutral? Or are you spending? And the answer, you know, all the guys are like, oh, well, it's neutral because you just don't buy anything. And they're like, no, you're losing money. You are losing money. <laughs> you yes. take a part of the sale. I love girl math. <laughs> so convenient. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's get back to this. <laughs> girl rant over. Let's go to point three. The production speed that is necessary on Shein is more than the planet can handle. Again, we're getting environmental. So Shein is producing new designs and fulfilling a mass amount of orders every single day. To assign some numbers to this, Shein adds between 700 and 2,000 new styles a day. And they start by producing styles in small numbers between 50 and 100 pieces. And the items that are popular and sell fast are then mass produced on a larger scale. Even if we take the smallest batch of 50 pieces for 700 styles, that's still 35,000 pieces. So the constant addition of new styles every single day and the bad quality of the clothes encourages consumers to keep coming back and buy new stuff. The clothes really are made to be worn just a few times and then replaced by the new trendy pieces. They handle over 10,000 orders daily, and the average consumer throws away 60% of their new clothes within one year. That's a lot. I feel like I still have clothes from, like, when I was 15. (laughs) And I'm not even joking. (laughs) I stopped growing at 13, and so I just kept the same clothes. I stopped growing at 13. (laughs) 
you are one of a kind. I usually hold on to pieces for a couple years and then I have to look at look at it and go, oh, when was the last time I wore it? Really, it's only been two, three years since I've worn it. Yeah, I got to throw it out. It's time. I'm but... really bad at throwing stuff away. Like I'm not I'm not a hoarder. I need to say that, but I'm not good at throwing things away. There's just, you look at it and go, I'll wear it again. I know I will. Just in case, just in case. Just in case. So I guess we don't fall into that 60% of new clothes, but I do know a couple people that do. Research done by Public Eye showed that one of Xi'an's many suppliers in China produces 1.2 million articles of clothing a day. Xi'an's clothes are made in thousands of factories. And think about how they take hundreds of years to decay. That's a scary amount. Now, this blog that we are referencing, they actually have a page that was super helpful uh, to find, like, ethical brands for, like, almost whatever you need. So along with the link to the blog, we're also going to post um, the page where you can go ahead and search for these brands. Um, so we encourage everybody to check that out as well. Yes, let's get ethical. Let's get physical. 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 <laughs> Isn't that a We're show now or something? Out. A new, like, a, I don't know if it came as a blah. Isn't that like a movie or a TV show now on Apple TV? I don't know. I don't have Apple TV. Oh, shoot. I have to look. I tried to do my movie reference. We need to take that out. We're not singing. On this. No, we're not. <laughs> not ready. We were so casual this episode. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll we'll think about it. You can edit this one. You decide. <laughs> All right. So the fourth reason why you should not shop at Shein, and we've kind of hinted at this already, but they exploit their workers. Now Shein claims. Uh, to always practice like fair labor and you know they're proactively campaigning against unethical practices um, and assert that you know their wages are above the industry average but again that fashion site that I mentioned earlier when talking about the documentary um, Ella Australia um, they had a article and there the author asks a fair and simple uh, and just very telling question and it goes if that's the case, how are they ethically able to produce a reported 1 million new garments in one day? I mean, think about the quantity. They claim that they are ethical, which involves being environmentally friendly as well as protecting their workers. It just doesn't add up. But they produce so much. Right. Now, many of Shein's uh, suppliers are small and informal factories. Um, and these are often not very well regulated. Um, again, in a report made by Public Eye in November 2021, they actually discovered um, that some employees at Shein's uh, suppliers, they work 75 hours a week. Uh, for the report, uh, 17 factories were visited, um, and they spoke to where they interviewed 10 workers um, in six cities in China. And the employees that they spoke to, they work three shifts per day. So you have four hours in the morning, and they have like a 1.5-hour lunch break, a bit over four hours that they work in the afternoon, and then they have a dinner break for like a little bit over an hour, and then an evening shift for another three to three and a half hours. And the evening shift is six days a week. So they only have like one day off really uh, per month. Um, and again, this all ends up totaling 75 hours a week. That's crazy. Uh-uh. Nobody pays good enough to work that much. Well, and so some people might, you know, might be thinking, well, maybe this is just the normal work schedule in China. But this article continues that no, it's not. According to the labor laws in China, a working week should not be more than 40 hours. And Xi'an is ignoring these laws because they're still working uh, with these suppliers that have these unethical practices. Uh, according to the interviewed workers, uh, they were not paid overtime 
and they all said that they didn't sign an employee contract. Uh, the workers don't receive any social security contributions, and many factories don't comply with basic safety standards, um, which again are just more violations of the Chinese labor laws. So keep in mind that $5 top you want to buy from Xi'an was most likely made by somebody who works 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Just think about that the next time you see the ad. Something I think too, I read this and I had to include this. It's not confirmed per se that this is true, but it was brought up that a like a help me message was reportedly found on the labels of their clothes that they had ordered, uh, which then were supposedly um, left by workers that were in the manufacturing factories. Uh, Shein has since called these notes uh, confusion, but has not really addressed the claims that they exploit their workers. That's so sad. If that's true, and we still continue to. Buy from Shein because、mm-hmm. we don't care. We want the five dollar top, but I'm sure if anybody sees a person work twelve hours a day, seven days a week, they would think differently. It is. It's hard because again, like yeah, you don't see that harmful impact. All you see、and、is the benefit of getting your clothes relatively quickly and for a really cheap price. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Now I want to go a little bit into like how Shein workers are paid. So they're paid per item. So the more items that they make, then the more they get paid. And this system really kind of encourages workers to work these longer hours. Um, but it also means that if a garment doesn't pass the quality check, they don't get paid for it. So it's very much dependent on how much they can make in a day. And if it passes、uh, the check,、um, and again too, if there is no work available, then they don't have a salary. So it's not very secure or a stable job for people. They basically never know how much money they're going to be taking home at the end of each month. You know, and as Shein's orders are often small batches of you know fifty or two hundred pieces, workers are constantly having to adjust to new designs. And so, when they're getting used to sewing a certain type of garment, now they have to switch to a brand new design because now something totally new is in trend, and people, you know, aren't purchasing that item that you know was popular a month or two ago. And it takes a long time to sew a new garment if you're not familiar with it. And again, because you're getting paid per item, now all of a sudden you're getting paid less. And this same research concludes that for a white and blue floral dress made from polyester. The seamstress or seamster is probably paid around thirty yen, which is equivalent to forty-seven cents in the U.S. This dress is then sold by Shein for around eleven U.S. dollars. Now that's interesting because here's the thing: earlier when we were giving our description of Shein, they claimed that their workers get like a thirty percent commission or something. This is not thirty percent. Not even close. Now again. Um, Ella Australia revealed that、um, Shein claims that they do not violate、uh, labor laws,、um, but these working conditions、um, are strict, are obviously a strict breach of Chinese labor laws, which state you can't exceed more than forty hours、um, a week. And actually, in Shein's own 2021 sustainability and social impact report, they themselves found. That sixty-six percent of their suppliers'、uh, factories violated their code of conduct, with a further twelve percent in violation of their zero tolerance violation policy. Now, my question is: They found these violations, but did they do anything about them as a company? I don't know if you have that information, but I'm going to assume no. I don't have it off the top of my head, but this is from 2021, and they still have a lot of suppliers. And the thing too is they're not very transparent about it. That's kind of another really big concern about it is they're not transparent about their supply chain and where they're getting stuff from. And so, no, like we don't know. All right, so we're four points in, and if you're still thinking about just browsing the site, you're not going to buy anything. 
you know, until that really, really cute dress shows up. Here's reason number five to stop shopping on Shein. They use plagiarized and insensitive designs. So Shein does not design their clothes in an ethical way. They copy designs. They don't even make any changes. It's just blatant. And they don't just do this from big brands that tend to set trends. They do this to small upcoming artists who may have spent weeks on a design. Shein will copy it and sell it for less than the original creator. And this blog does give several examples of people going to Instagram to reveal how Shein stole their clothing designs. So definitely check it out in the episode description. Yeah, it's super sad. People are posting a picture of like their design and then the article on Shein like right next to it. That's insane. And again, if they're selling it for a cheaper price, people will likely buy that. Well, yeah, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. In this economy, you're going to buy the cheaper option. Right. All right, the last one, number six. Shein is not transparent about its supply chain. A lot of Shein's products are made in South China. But what is much more difficult to find is where they actually source their fabrics or, you know, where are their clothes distributed from or what countries do they produce in. Shein claims that they are an ethical company, but just from information on the internet and everything we've talked about this far in this podcast so far really seems to suggest otherwise. And there is no transparency to suggest that they are an ethical company. And in fact, um, there is bi- there are bipartisan lawmakers that are urging uh, the U.S.'s top market uh, regulators to require Chinese fast fashion to require Shein to disclose potential uh, forced labor practices ahead of the company's possible possible initial uh, public offering in the United States. The fast fashion company has come under fire for accusations of mistreatment of Uyghurs, which are a marginalized group in China, and for allegedly falsifying reports of forced or underpaid labor of its supplier factories, some of which are allegedly located in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region of China. Xi'an said it has no suppliers in that region. And the alleged practices violate the 2021 Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, U.S. Representatives Jennifer Wexton and John Rose wrote in a letter to Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Gary Gensler. The representatives are leading a bipartisan group, including 22 other lawmakers, in demanding the SEC requires that Sheehan independently verify that it does not use forced labor before being allowed to issue securities in the U.S. The $64 billion company is preparing for a potential initial public offering later this year. Now, again, like, you know, all the other uh, claims made against Shein, um, their response is that they are an ethical company. They don't utilize Uyghur forced labor and that it works with, you know, third parties to audit its facilities. But hopefully the U.S. lawmakers do stay on top of this and require more transparency for uh, Shein's goods to enter into the U.S. Shein's business model relies heavily on advertising to Gen Z buyers on mobile apps such as TikTok and through social media influencers. Surprise, surprise. But according to Politico, the company whose de facto holding company is located in Singapore hired its first federal lobbyists in 2022 with goals to expand its distribution into the U.S. market. The lawmaker's letter echoes concerns from outside groups from outside groups. Independent coalition shutdown Shein has also called on the SEC to deny IPL registration to Shein unless it provides proof of compliance with the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Hopefully these initiatives, you know, stay up and come through because that could really help make a difference. Um, in further exposing the truth about what is going on, because there is, there's got to be something, right? There has to be something, yes. And so, and hopefully that will then require greater accountability um, for Shein. 
But I'm right. sure everybody is sitting here listening to us talk about Shein and wondering about the new up and coming. Some might even call it the new and improved Timu. I was going to say, we can't talk about Shein without talking about Timu. Right. So this is just another very uh, much more recent popular app. Um, it is different from Shein as it offers a larger variety of items. Uh, and they do use a different business model as well. Um, it's not considered fast fashion, but more so like referred to as like an online mega store. Uh, something kind of kind of like Amazon. Um, but it was established in September of 2022, so very new. Uh, they are headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and it's an expansive digital marketplace that offers a large range of products. They have like more than 250 categories. Timu has said that its primary goal is to foster a safe and inclusive environment that enables you to shop with confidence without compromising on quality enjoying the best online prices available. So Timu, which actually means team up, price down, has garnered a lot of attention in the U.S., um, particularly after its first Super Bowl advertisement in February. So they've gotten a lot of new customers and have established this huge e-commerce uh, industry. Now, Timu is not a fast fashion company, like Isabel said, because unlike fast fashion companies, Timu is not involved in production or manufacturing. Instead, it functions as an online marketplace that hosts independent third-party sellers, offering a diverse selection of products across over 200 categories. Now, just as Shein is being investigated by U.S. lawmakers with allegations of forced labor, Timu is under some scrutiny. One of Timu's responses is that Timu said it was not responsible for third-party sellers using its platform. According to Bloomberg, its sales in the U.S. last month exceeded that of rival fast fashion retailer Shein, which became the world's largest online-only retailer in 2021. Again, this is a very new um, industry, uh, Timu. And so people are probably wondering if there is the same scrutiny with Timu as there is for Shein. And like Georgia said, they are actually included in the investigation under U.S. lawmakers for forced labor concerns, you know, even though with how new that they are. So what America, what, you know, people should be aware of is that there is an extremely high risk that Timu's supply chains are contaminated with forced labor. Now, the company does require uh, suppliers to agree to a code of conduct, but does rely on third parties to, you know, flag problems, uh, which kind of describing the process, you know, as like a dubious system. And I know I mentioned that they are founded in Boston, but one of the reasons why Timu is kind of also getting looped into here is because they have a sister company that is based in China. Um... And the company currently does not have any system to ensure compliance with the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. But all this really suggests that shipments from Timu uh, containing products made with forced labor are entering the United States on a regular basis. It is super important for those systems to be in place, um, for accountability to be there, transparency to help guarantee that labor laws are being upheld. And when that kind of system is lacking, that's then where there is a lot of leeway to stray from those laws. And that's kind of one of the big concerns with Timu. And we could apply the same logic as we did to Shein to Timu. Mm -hmm. Everything is so cheap on that website, probably for a reason, because somebody is being exploited somewhere down the line. So Keep that in mind whether you're shopping on Shein or Timu and you see the ads and the TikToks. Know that somebody out there is paying full price for what you are not. Speaking of paying prices, <laughs> let's talk economics of this, which is totally out of our ballpark. I did get an A in um, microeconomics, I will say. No, actually, I took macroeconomics. <laughs> 
Did you give me cheers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. I also don't remember anything. <laughs> so you That's can okay. say this part. All right. So, Xi'an and Timu consistently avoid U.S. tariff law by exploiting trade loopholes by shipping their packages duty-free. The Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party released a report this past June titled Fast Fashion and the Uyghur Genocide, Interim Findings. Along with all of the human rights and labor violations that we had just mentioned, this report also details the significant way that these fast fashion sites have avoided paying trade tariffs on the packages that they send here to the U.S., Section 321 of the Tariff Act of 1930 is also known as the de minimis rule, which allows importers to avoid custom duties on incoming packages that are valued at less than $800. And it also found that Timu and Xi'an are responsible for more than 30% of the incoming packages into the U.S. every day under the de minimis rule. To try to assign a number to that, it was estimated that there were over 685 million de minimis shipments in 2022 alone. And again, to try to give a better idea of this significance, the report cited what other retailers shipping into the U.S. paid in tariffs in 2022. In 2022, Gap paid $700 million H&M paid $205 million, and David's Bridal paid $19.5 million to import their products into the U.S. But because Timu and Xi'an have such cheap products that are valued way under $800, they're able to avoid the tariffs. And I know this has nothing to do with trafficking or human rights, but these numbers are shocking. And although it helps our wallets and bank accounts by getting cheap products, we're contributing to a company that also doesn't economically benefit the U.S. at all. That is kind of a little interesting, like, side bit, too, to be aware of. Um, because economics, I mean, also, too, do play a big role in a lot of these, you know, human rights abuse situations. Because, again, like, it's all about, you know, people in power and making money. And so I think that it is definitely important to share that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope that you enjoyed it, even though it probably is telling everybody to, do, uh, to stop doing something that you're probably doing. Um, but we do ho hope that this episode uh, helps encourage people to be more conscious consumers about where they are buying from. I know that those cheap prices on Shein are so tempting. But again, you know, by buying them, uh, we are indirectly allowing for them to continue their cruel practices. Today, instead of doing a myth, we have a common human trafficking question that we want to address. And the question is, how many human traffickers get caught? Okay, so I'm going to start with the U.S. and then move to international because I was doing a little bit of research on this. And here's essentially what I found. So it's um, a report by the Bureau of Justice Statistics uh, during the 2021 and 2022 uh, kind of data collection period. And... It details like ongoing and completed efforts to measure and analyze, you know, nationwide instance of human trafficking. And some of the highlights from this report are that, you know, first, there were a total of 2,198 persons who were referred to the U.S. attorneys for human trafficking offenses in the fiscal year of 2020. Now, this is a 62% increase from the 1,336 persons referred in 2011. Now, the first kind of important point that I do want to make about this is that this does not mean necessarily that human trafficking is increasing, that we're seeing more of it. Instead, what this, you know, more likely means is we're getting better at um, 
reporting and catching human trafficking offenses compared to a few years ago. Um, A second highlight is that the number of persons prosecuted for human trafficking increased from 729 in 2011 to 1,343 in 2020. Um, And that is, again, an 84% uh, increase. So in both categories that you just mentioned, we are seeing a significant increase in not only reference for trafficking offenses, but also prosecutions for human trafficking. Both are super important because it does show that we are able to recognize and report. Maybe we're just talking about human trafficking a little bit more every day in every year so people can notice what's going on. But I know 84% sounds like a big increase, but in my head, 729 to 1,343 isn't really that significant. I don't know. Something about that just seems small for the way that human trafficking numbers are are predicted and projected. Well, and I think, too, uh, you know, there was a total of, was it so when we think about 2020 there were 2,198 uh people referred to the U.S. attorneys for human trafficking offenses but then you know 1,443 were then actually prosecuted and that is a pretty big difference and so it's like well why are these people getting referred and not getting prosecuted and maybe it's just because they can only have the time to prosecute so many people in a year maybe you know it's a resource issue maybe it's an evidence collection issue. Um, But that to me seems like a large gap. Definitely a large gap. And I wonder what the timeline for these prosecutions is. Are people sitting around and waiting for trial dates to start? Well, and then to continue, so the number of persons actually convicted of a federal human trafficking offense increased from 2011, which was 464 persons, uh, to in 2019, um, 837 persons before falling in 2020 to 658 persons. And that decrease was likely due to uh, probably COVID is my guess. But still then, what is it? You had, you know, 1,343 people prosecuted, but then only 658 persons were actually even convicted then too. And again, that can likely be evidence uh, they couldn't, they didn't have enough evidence or maybe again, COVID, they weren't, um, carrying through with all the cases. There's definitely a lot of factors that play into the law and the legal system as we have touched on in many episodes. And it's just really disheartening to see that we see a number as big as 2,198 drop to 1,343 drop to 658. So we're seeing, you know, thousands of people potentially participating in human trafficking, but we're only seeing hundreds of them being convicted. Exactly. So some demographic information um, of the 1,169 defendants that were charged in the U.S. District Court with human trafficking offenses, in the fiscal year 2020, 92% were male, 63% were white, 18% were black, 17% were Hispanic, 95 were U.S. citizens, and 66 had no prior convictions. What stands out to me in that stat is that 95% were U.S. citizens. I think that's super important to point out and highlight here because we do forget intend to look away and dismiss the idea that human trafficking is so prevalent here. But we also need to look at the international numbers. So there's a graph on Statista that shows the total number of convictions related to human trafficking worldwide. And this graph is from 2007 to 2021. And we'll put a picture of this on the Instagram page so you guys can see the stark difference in drop-offs and rises as the years go on. But what really stands out to me in looking at this chart is you see this huge spike 
in 2016, and then it drops off in 2017, rises a little bit in 2018, goes up high again to the most in 2019, and then drops significantly in 2020 and 2021, which again, we can predict or suggest that this may be due to COVID and the pandemic. So to put this into perspective, uh, the heights that I recognized were in 2016, it was 9,072. And in 2019, it was 9,548. And those were our two highest numbers. The middle grounds between 2017 and 2018 were about 7,000 apiece. Then when we get to 2020, uh, the graph only shows 5,011 in 2020, and then only 5,260 in 2021. So we're just seeing a stark drop-off from the 9,548 in 2019 down significantly in 2020 and 2021. Right now, and again, too, it's important to note that these numbers don't mean that this is how big the human trafficking issue is. Unfortunately, we don't have those numbers because there are so many traffickers that still go undetected. But more countries are getting involved in making sure that they are prosecuting uh, human trafficking cases. But again, some of the greatest uh, challenges in getting actual convictions is you know having evidence that can be upheld in court. Uh, victim testimony is often very important. Somebody might not, though, be willing to relive that trauma, uh, or maybe they know their trafficker, it's a family member, and so they're conflicted. Um, but biological traces are becoming a lot more accepted with technological advances, so there are different ways that uh, they can start collecting evidence for these cases, and so hopefully that helps bring about a significant increase in conviction cases. Do you want to go into further detail about what the evidence is that they're collecting? Now, so some of these types of um, evidence that people are using, for instance, is just going to be like biological traces that come from blood stains, saliva, uh, tissue samples, you know, skin, uh, nails, teeth, uh, hair that can all be like analyzed by forensic scientists. Um, there's also like objects like money, mobile phones, condoms, sex toys that could be in like possession of suspects. Um, or at a crime scene that can um, help uh, show evidence of exploitation. There was an example where the guilty verdict uh, was actually supported by objects found in a defendant's car where the victim had been sleeping, uh, pillows, a large quantity of coins, um, and signs in French asking for money. Photographs and videos of chains, locks, high fences can help support uh, statements. Uh, by the victim's living conditions to suggest exploitation. Thank you. You're welcome. If anybody listening has any more questions, please send them our way. Reach out to us over Instagram and DM us any questions that you may have about human trafficking and exploitation, and we will happily talk about it. Be sure to follow us on all of our social medias to stay up to date on everything going on. Those, as always, will be in the episode description. All right, everyone, I know we finished out this episode, but Georgia and I are actually coming back on about like a week later to record a little update on the Timu investigation and some of what has been found. The update is that the Better Business Bureau has received 900 complaints on product quality delays and not received products from Timu. But the biggest issue is regarding privacy. Timu has the ability to collect names, addresses, phone numbers, and even birthdays and anything from social media profiles. They get additional info from phones, iPads, or computers, or whatever you're actually using to access the app, and they can get your IP address. Cybersecurity experts warn that Timu has the capability to bypass security settings to spy on other apps and change settings, and that leaves you vulnerable to identity theft. These are all some very concerning updates, especially the fact that they can actually bypass your security settings and change them, I think is absolutely insane that they have that much like capability um, just because of the device that you're using uh, to access their app. 
I know that those deals are just so tempting, but we are, you know, putting this warning forward and echoing the suggestion uh, of these security experts uh, to avoid Timu and to delete the app if you have already downloaded it. This app is potentially dangerous, and as we have already discussed, the unethical trend from Shein and Timu uh, cannot be tolerated. If we refuse to use their services, they will have to raise their standards. I know that a lot of times it feels like, well, there really isn't much to do. You might as well take advantage of the deals. But honestly, I feel like if consumers get behind the same cause, we really end up do having a lot of power. All right, everyone. I know we usually post every two weeks, but we are skipping a post and our next episode will drop November 6th. So we hope to see you all then.